back in 2010, Seton was nine years old or nine months old, excuse me. And I had been away to the Middle East for a little while, approximately six uh, weeks, six straight weeks due to work. And after I came back, it was a it was a couple days uh, after I'd returned. Uh, late, I was up uh, that morning watching TV, getting used to the time change. Yeah. Lacey walks in, drops Seaton down, and is you know obviously nine nine months old. He's still in diaper. Drops him down. Says, "I'm gonna go get ready for the day. Go talk to your dad." Seaton then crawls right past me on the couch. I'm lying on the couch. Hops up on the computer and starts beating the mouse. <laughs> To try, try to call try to you talk to me whenever I was in Saudi Arabia <laughs> for the past six weeks. So it was at that time that I realized I probably should change courses and, and be home a little bit more due to my work. And you were right there. I was right there. He crawled <laughs> right past me. Uh, my middle one, Madison, she's a she's a sweetheart. She's very reserved, timid, and shy. And you remember how we used to have those auctions at the church? Yeah. When we went to the church yeah. and have these auctions to raise money for huh? youth camp. Well, one year, Madison was about three years old, and we're bidding on, I think it was banana bread at one point, and we, we bid, got the, you know, got the bid, got the banana bread, and sat down, and I set Madison down on the chair right beside me, Lacey and I are going through, trying the banana bread, talking about the banana bread, unbeknownst to us, obviously, the, the auction was still going, Pastor was, uh, was the auctioneer at that point, and all of a sudden, I hear, Corey, is that a valid vote. And I look over and my three-year-old child, Madison at the time, had a number holding up. She bid $100 on banana pudding. $100 without a cent. So, you you know, you turn to the congregation, you have 200 people looking at you. Yeah, and you can't say you can't no. It's say not no. a valid vote. So we ended up paying $100 for banana pudding that year and donating that to the church was really enlightening. Was it worth the, was the banana pudding worth uh, $100? I don't like banana pudding. So <laughs> Lacey and the kids consume that. And then to the third one, Riley. Uh, she's the youngest of the three. Uh, she's definitely a firecracker to say the least. And when she was younger, probably around the same age uh, that, that Madison was when, when her story uh, began, which was, she was about three years old. Uh, she was sharing a room with Madison and Lacey and I were, were laying down in bed, uh, watching TV, about to fall asleep. It was about 9.30 at night and Riley comes walking in, three-year-old Riley comes walking in, taps on Lacey's shoulder and said, hey, mommy. She said, yes, Riley, you should, you should be in bed. She said, I know, but remember that coin that I was playing with all day? I, I wanted to find a safe place to hide it. It's like, okay, well, what happened? Well, I swallowed the coin. Of course. <laughs> so, so I got to ask her, I said, what, what kind of coin was it? What size was the coin? Was it a quarter or a dime? She's three. She's yeah. a coin. I said, how many coins did you swallow? She said, a coin. So you can walk into this day, and in our entryway, there is a picture of Riley with an x-ray yes. from Cook's Children's, yes. and it shows this massive coin right behind, you know, within the x-ray, and she is just grinning ear to ear. That's probably a $250 or $300 photo. <laughs> so that gives you a little... This is the same girl who I used to say, Riley, what's your name? I'm three. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What's your name? I'm three. <laughs> that is her. That is Riley. Uh, she's sweet. Riley is Matthew's best friend. Mm -hmm. uh, that's awesome. Matthew is her best friend. Yeah.
Welcome to The Testament, a podcast that spotlights the amazing real-life stories of everyday people who've been transformed by their surrender to Jesus Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of one of the many miraculous before and after accounts of lives forever changed by encountering the Savior. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Testament. My name is Jeff Keck, and this is our Father's Day episode. I'm here today with Corey Huggins. Hey, Corey, how you doing? Doing well. Great. Corey Thanks. is actually um, my best friend now. I'm not his best friend. That is untrue. <laughs> no. This, this is how my friends work, right? So I, I'm like, you ever see that video with like the... Um, the pit bull that's walking and he's got this little yapping dog next to him that's kind of yeah, yeah, you know, trying to stay with him all the time next to him and jumping over him and all that other Where stuff. Where are you going with this, Jeffrey? <laughs> You're the pit bull and I'm the yapping uh. dog, right? You're like, dude, leave me alone. <laughs> no, no. I value our friendship. Yeah. Tell us about yourself, Corey. Well, my name is Corey Huggins. I was raised in a small West Texas town called Rotan, a population of about 1,500. Graduated with 35 people in my class. Uh, met my wife uh, when I was in fifth grade. Lacey, she was in sixth grade. Uh, we've been started dating my junior year, her mm. senior year of high school. Uh, we both attended uh, the University of Texas at Arlington. She studied in education. I studied uh, biomedical engineering. Uh, we were married in June of 2007. Last week, we just celebrated our 15-year yeah, yeah. anniversary. So it was, uh, it was quite a feat. And uh, we had Seton about 25 months after we were married. And today, Seton is 12, about to be 13. Madison is 11, and Riley Grace is seven years old. Uh, I earned a, a master's in biomedical engineering from UTA in 2008, and most recently, my MBA also from UTA yeah. last year in 2021. Yeah. And I'm currently serving as the VP of operations in a, in a small uh, oil and gas company based in South Arlington. Yeah. So do you still blow things up? That's what I want to know. Uh, <laughs> no. So I know you used to design explosives, right? Design for the oil field, for the oil industry. Yes. In the perforating yeah. industry. Right, yes. right, right. Yeah. So you, but you don't, you don't get to do that anymore. No, we have a non-explosive, non-hazmat method of, of severing <laughs> pipes. So I do not, I do not work with explosives any longer. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's kind of sad. Yeah. Um, all right. So this podcast is generally all about our, our testimonies in Jesus Christ, right? Mm -hmm. how, how we came to know Jesus and how the God has kind of been with us um, since we became Christians and kind of led us through our lives and the different things that he's blessed us with, right? Mm -hmm. um, today's episode is focusing on Father's Day, um, you being a father of three, me being a father of four. We're just going to have a conversation about Father's Day and, and being fathers. Um, but I do want to know before we get into that, um, how did you come to know Christ? Well, it's difficult to, to to talk about that without discussing a little bit of, of my background. I was raised in a church home. Mm. Uh, both my my parents uh, were believers, or are believers, excuse me. Uh, all four grandparents, both sets of grandparents, were heavily involved in the church. And yeah. I can't remember a time uh, growing up where I wasn't in church, wasn't attending VBS, going to church camp. And I had uh, quite a bit of exposure uh, to churches, you know, as a child. Uh, I was actually saved at church camp in the summer of 1999 here up in the up in the Metroplex area. And, you know, I, I knew all the stories. I, I knew who Christ was. But I it, it was at that moment that I realized 
as as selfish as I was, I was a pompous and arrogant kid growing yeah. up that I I needed him mm. to continue on with with my life. I knew that there was no purpose in living. It was all going to be selfless and it was all going to be eventually I would be let, letting myself down or somebody else would be letting me down uh, if I didn't have him. And I gave my life to, to Christ that summer. Uh, I was saved and, uh, and you know, I've been focusing on what I like to call in training ever since, um, you know, after I was saved, uh, you know, basically back then, school, church, and sports were my entire life. Yeah. That was my focus. And I would consume myself, uh, especially with with sports. When I was in high school, it was a it was a, a big focus. Being in small town West Texas, you play you went from sport to sport sure. to sport. Yeah. Uh, and in and in uh, school, especially when I graduated high school, uh, studying biomedical engineering, I was in the library just about every breath that I that I possibly had, and um, it was. You know, I thank God that I was saved at the time that I did because it helped me through a lot of those transitions, helped me through. Um, How old were you in 1999? How old was I in 1999? I was 14. So you accepted Christ when you were 14. Yeah. Yes. So what changed in your life, though, at that time? My mentality, my focus. Did you immediately have a desire to dig into Scripture and learn more, learn more, learn more? Or did that come later? It came later. Yeah, it, it really did. Come, it, it came later, and uh, the more that I dug in, the more that I read, I was better suited for the application side of things. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was, I was confident in the non-scriptural application of what I should be doing, but it wasn't until I got to dive deep into the scripture that I was able to have some of those deeper philosophical discussions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, how old were you when you got married? See, 2007, I was 22. Well, you had to think about that. I did. I had to do the math in my head. Sorry, it's been, it's been a long day. I was it's 22 funny because we always, we always joke about you and Lacey both coming from Rotan. Uh -huh. you know, why did y'all get married? Because you're probably the only two people in Rotan that aren't related. Yes. <laughs> I actually moved to Rotan in fifth grade. Uh, I was 10 years old. And uh, my we wanted to move back to the Metroplex where the majority mm -hmm. of my yeah. dad's family was from. So my dad really enjoyed, we lived in a small town in Colorado at the time. He wanted that small town atmosphere yeah. and not the DFW area. So when I moved in, tell you what, a lot of the girls were looking at me and it wasn't because of, it's because you because weren't related. Of my pretty face. <laughs> it was because I had a pulse and I wasn't related. <laughs> Absolutely. So, That's funny. Um, the non-blood plate a factor. So now you and I met, um, I don't know, probably what, a year or two maybe before Riley was born? We would have met back in 2012. We would have met. So Dan two, yes, Daniel came home years. in 2012. We we met right before Daniel came home. Okay. Yes. All right. So gosh, that's 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. So that's 10 years. Yep. Um, and at that time, you'd already had Seton and Madison. Yes. Yeah. And um, all right. So um, what, let me, let's move into father's stuff and start with a real basic, simple question. Mm -hmm. What, um, you know, sometimes we take the word father for granted. So what does father mean to you? What does it mean to be a father? When I think of the word father, I have three different vantage points that come to my head. One is the heavenly father, 
One is my earthly father and one is myself as a father to my kids. When I think of heavenly father, I think of creator, someone who could guide me, um, someone who who cares about me whenever I don't even maybe reflect the same uh, mindset. Uh, earthly father, I think of a, of a mentor, a provider, you know, leader of the home. Yeah. And then uh, as myself, uh, as a father to my kids, um, the phrase that continues to come to my mind is sacrifice with a purpose. We, you know, you sacrifice doing certain things that you may want to do that may not involve your kids for the purpose and intent of raising your children. So, so that, like I said before, the, I mean, that, that word kind of gets taken for granted. So day to day in dealing with our children, mm -hmm. is that, is that, is that type of mentality? I mean, <laughs> it's great to think about it, define it, mm -hmm. bring it out. But day to day, mm -hmm. is that mentality, are you able to stick with that mentality? Are you able to think that through on a daily basis that, you know, my purpose is th that, right, for them? Yes. I'll, in all honesty, it comes and goes. Yeah. There, there's a lot of external factors that'll take me away from being a father, obviously, work, uh, marriage, being, you know, being a husband to Lacey. You know, it's it's tough to have that same mentality uh, day in, day out. And what you I mean, you're going to have peaks and valleys as a dad. You're going to have times that you're going to contact, sometimes that you're going to be distant from them. And so I think you have to try to do your best to shoot for that median line and look at it from a longer duration than just specific points. Yeah. Yeah. What would you and I'm going to throw some questions mm -hmm. out at you off the wall sometimes. Shoot. Um, what would you say under that context of being a father when you're when Seton's the oldest, right? Mm -hmm. So he's how old is he now? He's he's twelve. All right, so he's twelve. So you're looking at six years. He's up and out of the house. Mm -hmm. Okay. What would you hope for him when he walks out of the house? What would you What would you hope that of anything in the world that mm -hmm. he might pull from you mm -hmm. to take with him in his life? What do you think? What would you hope mm -hmm. that to be? I hope that he would treat others with respect and kindness, and that he would serve the Lord Jesus Christ the best that he possibly can, and whatever external factors uh, are, that are trying to pull him away, that he sees those as them, as external things that are trying to pull him away from doing what, uh, what God has conditioned him to do. Yeah. Um, all right, so Let's let's dig into scripture a little bit here. So okay. Luke fifteen twenty mm -hmm. is actually uh, the end of the whole prodigal son story, right? So you have the prodigal son, the, the kid who's like, "I'm ready to go out on my own. Give me my share of the inheritance. I'm right. going to go out there." And then he goes out there, and what does he do? He, he blows it all, right? Yep. Uh, he ends up. Uh, what I'm trying to think of the, the way he said it. Um, um, He's, he squanders all his money. He squanders all his money, yeah, but he's looking at, like, what the pigs are eating. And he's yes. like, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but at some point, the child decides that he's going to go back home. Mm -hmm. Now, this was not the eldest son. Correct. It right? was the youngest. Right. So for the father to go ahead and give him his inheritance mm -hmm. was kind of um, – not normal, if you will. And obviously the older son got upset about that. So when the younger son returns, Luke 15, 20 says, but while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. So what, what does that 
Like that's a that's a picture of something, right, related to the father and his son. What does that mean to you? The what it, the way he treats the son who comes home. I mean, he shows zeal. He's is a story about to me. This is a story about compassion and and true forgiveness. Doesn't care where he's been, what he's done. Um, he's he's living in that moment, and I think that all of us, to some degree, can relate maybe to to the father and the the eldest and even the youngest son yeah. all throughout this story. And one of the things that you know that that really rings true to my heart is that the son that squandered all the money. There's an admission of failure there. He's returning mm-hmm. because he knows that. It, he knows that his father will accept him more than likely in one shape, form, fashion, or another. It may not be the way that it actually plays out, but he knows he's got, and he he knows that he has a home to go to and a father to go to. Well, he was hoping he was a, can at least be a servant. Yes, right. Well, right. I mean, isn't that what? That's what the story says. Yeah, he was hoping to go home and the at least parable, excuse at me. least that he could hire him as a servant. But that's yes. not what happened. No, um, he threw a robe on him. The, I don't, I don't know. It's a royal robe. I don't know what. <laughs> I think you put a, a ring garment. on him, yes. right? Put a garment on him. Put a ring on him. Had a feast, mm-hmm. a he celebration. Yeah, celebration. Um, but the oldest son, not too happy about that. No. So, um, and I think most fathers would be in that same situation where this is my son. It, it doesn't matter what you've done, right? Um, how, how does I mean, we know that the prodigal son is a parable that identifies basically how Christ accepts us in in our failures, right? Correct. Um, so do you think that us as fathers, when we accept our children in our failures, it's not as easy sometimes as that story says. Absolutely right? not. And it depends <laughs> I mean, upon the level of failure. Correct? Right. Like, what are you thinking, you know? Um, so do we... Do we, do we, do you think that we as fathers for believers and stuff, do you think we fail in that aspect sometimes? Fail in what aspect? In, in the, in our ability to sometimes just see, Hey, this is, this is just our, our kid making a mistake. Let's mm-hmm. educate or something like that. Cause I think, I know I get upset, right? Mm-hmm. My kids mess up, even though you tell them six, seven times, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And they do it anyway. Right. I get angry. I'm like, dude. Yeah. And discipline is always something that's, you know, obviously is is something we're going to do. But, mm-hmm. you know, we sit there and we look at this and we think, you know, I, I don't sometimes in that discipline when my kid messes up and I look at that, I don't sit there and think, hey, I want to be the example of Christ right, right. now. Yeah, absolutely. And completely forgive and forget and move on and, and whatever. Especially about the impact. I mean, he squandered half of his inheritance. Right. Half of his inheritance when he came home. His father had half the inheritance he had before he left. Yeah. Daniel takes half my money. (laughs) (laughs) No way, buddy. No way. (laughs) You you made that bed, you lay in it. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. But um, (laughs) yeah, so I think that that's a a great example of not only how Christ kind of brings us back also, but, you know, if we can kind of get our mindset as fathers into that arena where all of the different things that go on in our lives, all the different things that our kids are learning and they're messing up and, you know, they're making mistakes just like we do every day. But as a father to say, man, I'm I'm thrilled 100% that you made your mistake and that you're, you know, you, that you're here and we're dealing with it. 
right? right. Um, just to see it that way. Um, what would you say is your top priorities mm -hmm. as a father? Uh, I have three top priorities uh, as a father. One of them is, uh, it's kind of an old saying, but your greatest ability is your availability. And with my engineering background, I'm going to spit out some numbers at you very briefly. But, uh, you know, how many hours a day, how many hours each day uh, that, the, that your kids are awake, are you in their presence? Yeah. Let's take an average kid. Let's say he's available or uh, available, say he's awake from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., which is 14 hours. If you're with them for one hour, the time that they're awake, that's 7% of their day. Say you had a busy day at work, maybe on average you're there 30 minutes a day. Maybe you travel a lot for work. 30 minutes a day, 365 days a year for 18 years. Those 14-hour days, it's 235. 65% of one of those 18 years, you are constantly in their life if you are with them for 30 minutes a day. Hmm. Do you have a greater impact on your children than a 30-minute sitcom? Well, if they watch a sitcom every single day. One would hope. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again... You know, but what are we doing though, you know, during those 30 minutes? Exactly. And you, you kind of got to the, to the next point. You know, you, uh, the next one, aside from uh, your greatest ability is your availability, is the relationship integrity and scope. What type of relationship do you have? Are you spending 30 minutes a day and you're each on uh, one side of the couch and your phone's texting, looking at Facebook, whatever the case may be? Um, you know, what does that integrity, that relationship look like in scope? Are you only in your child's life whenever it's something that you're interested in? I'll right. use, right. for an example, Seton plays baseball. Mm -hmm. If I'm only in Seton's life, and it's and we have you know sound structural integrity between uh, our relationship, and but the scope doesn't move beyond the foul lines. That's a hindrance. Yeah. You're, uh, you know, how is he supposed to trust me? Or is how how is any child supposed to trust you outside of the scope that you have your relationship, whether it be athletics or school? or music, whatever the case may be, you know, what's the scope of that relationship? And the last one is trust, you know, keeping your promises. Uh, do you keep your promises whenever you uh, discuss that with your children? Do they reciprocate that same level of trust with you? So those are, uh, you know, those are the top priorities that I have uh, listed as a, being a father. So if you, as a, as a father who has, you know, th those priorities, right? Spend that time. Um, what do you do with your kids? First off, do you do you go and do things individually with each child, diff, you know, different things? And what are those things? What do you do with your kids to teach them about Jesus, to constantly disciple them as they grow? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Uh, I try to spend as much time uh, as I can with them, uh, being there for their sports functions, their school functions, whether it's programs, end of the year celebration, uh, time with family, church activities, family vacations. Uh, we do spend, uh, I do spend time with them more collectively than I do individually. Lacey and I do our best of, of splitting children up and having dinners, you know, one-on-one yeah. -on -one dinner time, yeah. uh, Seton's favorite restaurants, Roadhouse. So 
Be a oh, time you can't where get I'll in there anymore these days. <laughs> I'll take seat Man, in the roadhouse. It's like a one hour wait. Madison's is is Taco Casa, and and Riley yeah, likes just about choices. anything. Probably Whataburgers is right. <laughs> so, you know, we do our best to have some of those one-on-one conversations. Uh, and and they're all three of them are quite active. They're active in a lot of different things. And so I truly do try to use the car rides uh, to and from to talk and, and talk to them about um, – whether it be scripture or their friends, what type of examples are they setting? What type of examples are their friends setting? Is it biblical? Uh, and so we've we spend a lot of time in the car talking. Yeah. So my experience, you know, I don't, I don't. My job nowadays is not. I mean, everybody knows I'm a law enforcement, but my job is not street officer anymore. Mm-hmm. I have an office job, right? So most of the time, my job is brain work and computer work um, these days, which exhausts me just as much as the physical, you know, answering call to call used to exhaust me, right? So I get home and one of the things I really would like to do is just sit there and kind of veg out a little bit. Decompress. Yeah. Um, So how do you, coming home from a day like that, when really you'd like to just kind of veg out a little bit, decompress, be alone, um, but you got three kids Uh running through the house, um, which is me right now. I got three kids because my my fourth kid's, you know, college age. So she's not running around through the house like like the other kids are. But, you know, you got three kids just laughing, screaming. They want to play. They want to go outside. They want to do this. They want to do that. And all you want to do is kind of sit there. So Mm -hmm. uh, is that a mindset thing or is that a preparation thing? Or how would how would you go about kind of getting rid of this need to decompress and focusing on a need to be a father. Mm. I do that in a multitude of ways. One, I will shut my, one of the things I do every day before I leave work and head home is I write down what I accomplished that day and what I need to accomplish tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I usually shut my door and spend some time writing, you know, 10, 15 minutes. At work. At work. Yeah. At work. What I need to do, what I accomplished that day, what I need to accomplish uh, the following day. And in that time, I'll spend an extra five minutes and I'll decompress and mentally disconnect from work. I'll turn off my computer. I'll turn off my phone or or put it on vibrate. And before I even hop in the car, there's a lot of distractions that can go on, right? There, yeah. if, if you're trying to decompress when you're when you're in a car ride home, everybody in the DFW area knows <laughs> that it's difficult to decompress behind the wheel. Uh, there's a lot of different distractions or radio, whatever the case may be. So I do my best to decompress and get mentally prepared, not only as a father, but as a husband. Mm-hmm. And that's shown to help over the years. Uh, there's various stress levels depending on, you know, day to day what's going on with, within the uh, the operations of the business. But it's truly important that you don't do, try to do that while they're, while you're walking through the door. Yeah, it, yeah. I've done that in the past, early on, you know, my in my career, for example, when my kids were really young and it didn't set well with them, with me, in some cases, you know, lash out, be short with them. So I've really have to disconnect, even if it's at work. I've I've just found that for me, it's different for everybody. Maybe you need to stop in a, you know, a Walmart parking lot, for example, uh, and just kind of decompress for five minutes. But it, it's really proven to help me and my mentality right before I walk through the door because it's, you know, there's 30 decisions that are made in the first 20 seconds that you walk through the door and that's going on. Yeah. So um, I'm very guilty of of going home and decompressing there, or at least mm-hmm. I have been in the past. Um, and I think that it's possible too for a, 
a father, you know, we, we talk about fathers spending time with their children. I think it's possible for a father to be home, but not be there. Correct. Right. So um, there's a, an article that I that I pulled for this question about being involved in your child child's life. Um, and this was pulled from a Focus on the Family website. And it's an article that was actually, a, it's, a, it's a research project that was done in 1999. And what they did is they looked at a bunch of different research on fathers and involvement of fathers in their kid's life. And it said that 82% of the studies on father involvement and child well-being that were published since 1980 to 1999 showed that quote them, significant associations between positive father involvement and offspring well-being, meaning being a father in the house is not the same as being an involved father in the house. So I like what you're saying, too, and what I started doing, um, which I think is helping me um, because I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of going home, sitting on the couch, and we want to go ride bikes. Have fun. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm not, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I'll but watch from the yeah, window. I mean, I've done that. And, and so one of the things I started doing at work was, um, you know, if I get off at three o'clock, then at two 45, cause I can't do it in my office. People are always walking into my office. So I'll, I'll lock everything up and I'll leave at two 45 and I will go sit at a, at a park mm-hmm. and in my car at a park. And I will just go through a chapter, like right now I'm in 2 Samuel, go through a chapter of scripture, just read scripture a little bit, let that last 15 minutes kind of dwindle so that when I'm, when I do get home, you know, hopefully some of that decompression's already taken place. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, then you got traffic. <laughs> really <laughs> fires you up again, right? No matter what but, time of day. But I think that's something, and I don't think everybody has the opportunity to do that, you know, depending on where they work. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, for me, I have the opportunity to basically stop on my way home and, and, and do that. And so I've started doing that in the, in the past couple of months, and I think it's helped out a lot, uh, for me anyway. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, I think it's totally 100% possible to be a father, be at home, but not be there. Um, there's another study that also, also came out of the same website, another research that was done in 2001, um, and they, what they did is they, they analyzed over 100 different studies on parent-child relationships. They found that having a loving and nurturing father was as important for a child's happiness, well-being, and social and academic success as having a loving and nurturing mother. Um, some studies even indicated that father love was a stronger contributor to some important positive child well-being outcomes. Um, so would you agree with that assessment? Do you, I mean— I, Personally, I agree that there is a specific role for a father in a child's life and a specific role for a mother in a child's life. And I think it's by by design. I think it's by, you know, God's design. And you see it throughout Scripture that there is a specific role for each one of those. I agree. They fulfill specific needs for each child. Yeah. Uh, so let me ask you this. As a father, what... What role or what influence did your own father have on your abilities to be a father to your kids? Uh, one area was was humility. Uh, I, like I stated earlier, sports were a uh, big part of my life growing up, especially in high school. And I can remember coming home. It was a it was a district game. We had one by one point, and 
believe I had had around 26, 27 points that night. Uh, and I, I was come home. I was very confident. I was really excited. And I remember walking in and just, you know, being really excited after winning our, our first district game as, uh, as seniors. And he said, Corey, you missed two free throws tonight. And I thought, man, my own dad can't even be that excited, you know, show the same enthusiasm as and I as I did. But, you know, the longer time went on, I realized exactly what he was doing. Yeah. You know, never get too high, never get too low. And uh, so humility plays a big part about what uh, he instilled in me. Definitely work ethic. Yeah. Uh, my dad worked a lot. And I, you know, I saw him... Uh, dropping us off for school. He would go straight to work and then he would work all throughout the evening on the dinner table. He was a physical therapist, uh, whether he's writing notes, studying, whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, my dad never lacked uh, work ethic. And so I believe that's something that I I want to instill in my son as well and Seton and, and Madison and, and Riley to, uh, uh, you know, you're not entitled to anything because you have breath and to, to go through and if you want something, work at it, earn it. But let's talk about that for a second, because my dad was the same way, right? My dad had a phenomenal work ethic, <laughs> never late to work, never missed a day. You would have to be like really sick in bed to call in sick. <laughs> I've had the same thing, 23 years in law enforcement, right? Didn't call in sick hardly ever. I went to work with sniffles and coughs and, and aches and pains and everything. Um, I'm always on time. Don't like taking off. I take off. You know, for vacations, I just don't like taking off. I don't like burning all that stuff. But at the same time, I find myself because I'm in I'm in a position where you, you know, eight to five Monday through Friday is just not feasible for the for the things that I do. So you're working weekends, you're working nights, and you're working all this other stuff. At what point does it become? I mean, good work ethic is great, but at what point does it become too much work? Right? <laughs> right. Are uh, you dedicated to your, your because work I, or your I've family? seen it at my house, right? So currently, my position, I'm traveling across the country. I'm gone for a week. I'm gone for a week here. Um, I've got this training going on, or I'm working all weekend, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. I'm working all night Friday night, um, and then you know, top off you know, church practice on Wednesday. You know that you because you're going to play on Sunday um, or mm -hmm. whatever whatever's going on. Mm -hmm. There's a, you know there's always some kind of a reason that you may not be there, and it's all legitimate. You know, but at what point do we have to look at that and say, you know, is, work ethic is great, but is it too much? Right. Yeah. I think too often we don't do enough self-reflecting. We don't write down how I gave the stats earlier the, or the values earlier. How often are, you know, are you with your kids? Are you with your spouse? I encourage each and everybody listening, you know, you've included me included, anyone listening on the podcast, write down some of these things. Don't don't guess what they are. Write down, go go a full week. Go a full week, write down exactly what you did, just like you were trying to turn in a, a time report, a project report yeah. to your superior. How often you studied in the Word, how often you were with your kids, how often you were with your spouse. And and that self-reflection, you you won't be able to argue with it. Yeah. It, you've actually written it down and you can hold yourself accountable to do other things. Yeah. And, uh, and then also... I would add to that, write down your goals and objectives. What do you want to do? Are these a thing? Do these things that you're doing on a daily basis align with what you believe your goals and objectives are? Yeah. And are they contrary? Are they supportive to what 
what God wants you to do, what your spouse wants you to do, mm-hmm. what your kids want you to do. So, yeah, and I'll be, throw Lacey under the bus. I'll just say, be willing to say no sometimes. Right. I mean, <laughs> exactly. that's the truth because sometimes it's like, yeah, sure. I'll do that. Sure. I'll do that. Yeah. You need me to do that. Okay. I'll do that. I'll do mm-hmm. that. At some point it's like, you got to say how much is too much. Yeah. You got to say, no, I can't. Right. I can't. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen my kids all week. I can't do that. You know, whatever. Um, so, and, and no matter how good it is, right. Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh yeah, yes, I will play drums for you. And I, I, I love our worship pastor and I love playing drums. Um, and, but I do play it a lot. And sometimes I just want to break. Right. So sometimes you got to say no. Um, I'm working with with a, a, another a friend of mine. You know, we, we've been trying to meet regularly just to kind of go through scripture a little bit, talk a little bit and, and jam with guitars. Right. Sometimes you got to say, no, no, I can't this week. Right. You know, um, because I haven't been home for right. a week and a half. Yeah. Um, so I think just saying no sometimes yeah. is a good idea, too. I, I think it's really important that time is not something that you'll ever get back. Right. And especially as fathers with our kids. You know, the first 18 years of their life, in, in some cases, are the most time that you'll ever be able to spend with your children. Mm-hmm. And you won't ever get that time back. And so that's, uh, you know, you can meet with, you know, friends and family at, at a later date, but, you know, really try hard not, not to compromise the integrity because what you don't want to happen is want to try to force and have that impact on your child whenever they're 40, 50, 60 yeah. years old yeah. that you wish you would have done when they were six, seven, and eight. Yeah. My wife made me cry the other day. She reminded me that uh, our oldest daughter, we're about to lose her. Hmm. So we're going to lose her. So you don't understand. We're going to lose her. She's going to have her own life, mm-hmm. her own husband, her own house, her own. We're gonna, I'm like. Only after we agree. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 He has to ask me and you, right? That's correct. We have to have a meeting before before any of that takes place. Corey, let's wrap up a little bit. Let me ask you um, okay. a question we always ask everybody on our podcast episodes, and that is, what is your favorite scripture? And it doesn't really have to be related to Father's Day also. Just anything. It'd be a verse, a chapter, a storyline, mm-hmm. a book, anything in the Bible that just continuously touches your heart over and over. Mm-hmm. I usually have a favorite scripture for maybe what I'm going through in my life. I, I don't think I don't have a, a life verse necessarily, yeah. but there are instances in my life where, where scripture, you know, rings quote unquote a little bit louder right. uh, than others. I mean, right now, uh, with with everything that's going on, it's it's Joshua one nine. Uh, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And to to get back into the into the sports reference um, you know, if if life is a game, we know at the end of the game that we're on the winning team, not because of what we did, but what but what he did for us. Yeah. And how can we not live our daily lives being strong, being courageous, knowing that at the end of the day, the victory is with him, and we're and we get to enjoy what that victory is. And so that's uh, that's would be my favorite verse right now. Yeah. One final question before we leave. If some stranger asked any of your three kids, mm-hmm. does your dad know Jesus? Would they say yes? Yes. All three of them? Yes. I mean, maybe they don't understand the question if they're, <laughs> if they're too young. But I think that's Riley something. Seven, yeah, yes. I think that's something the fathers should focus yes. on. 
You know, if a perfect stranger asked your kid, mm-hmm. does your dad know Jesus? Will they say yes or will they say, I don't know? And that, I think that right there would reflect quickly on how you've kind of gauge how you've been doing as a father and showing who Jesus is to your kids. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? I would agree. And yours? Ask my the question kids? right back at you. Oh, yes. All of my kids would say yes, um, except one of them, my youngest, Matthew, would probably give you a dissertation. Okay. okay. <laughs> he would probably give you a big, lengthy explanation. <laughs> Riley would ask, what do I get in return? <laughs> I will give you a response. I will give you an answer. But uh, Riley will say, I'm seven. It's the youngest. You know what? <laughs> yes. Yes. That's the trend. Corey Huggins, thanks for doing the show for me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. You're a good father and a good friend, a good husband, and I really appreciate um, your family in, in our family's lives. It's been an honor. Let's continue it. Mm-hmm.